Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Welcome, everybody. This is Sherry Beck, and I am pleased to have Kelly Roseberry on the podcast with me today. Kelly is the program director for the Travis Mills Foundation. Kelly, welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast, and I'd love to know where you grew up and what led you to finding a passion of helping others. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I am an army brat, so I grew up a little bit of everywhere, a little bit of time in Germany and sort of all across the United States. Um, At this point, I live in Maine, but I claim the sort of Northern Virginia area as home. Um, And in terms just of passion of helping others, I have just enjoyed that for as long as I can remember. I feel like I've done some piece of that in terms of volunteering and just being involved with organizations for a variety of causes for most of my life. And maybe that stems a little bit from being an army brat and always sort of being the new kid on the block. Um, but it's just, it's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Okay, cool. Well, I remember first meeting you many years ago at Walter Reed, and you were there as a physical therapist helping warriors at the MATC and uh, just helping them with their healing and recovery. And it's been a while, but what what was your experience like at Walter Reed? You know, I don't think there are enough words to describe my time there. It just was... Um, It was incredibly humbling work that I was honored to be a part of. You know, you get to meet so many of these men and women at just such a difficult point in their life, but you're the one as part of their rehab team that sort of gets to bring hope to their situation and paint a picture of what their new normal of life after injury will be like. And I just feel um, incredibly lucky to have been able to be a part of that journey for so many. Right. And... As a physical therapist, what led you to to choosing that career path initially? (laughs) You know, your first year in PT school, they let you, um, they have you write a letter to yourself of, you know, where do you think you'll be in five years when you're out of school and working? And um, I had met an amputee skier as a child. And in my letter to myself, I said, you know, in a perfect world, I'll be working for the military and I'll get to work with the amputee population because I just... To me, it was such a um, such an easy way to see your impact. You know, to teach someone how to use a prosthetic, to you know, sort of introduce them to this world of adapted sports, and all of the things that they could do was just so exciting and so um, fun and so challenging. And I think that's the part that I love the most about it. But um, I just I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I was able to you know, get that position at Walter Reed right out of grad school and just um, am forever grateful for someone giving me that opportunity to be able to do that. But um, yeah, it was just, it was a childhood dream that I just got worked hard enough and got lucky enough to to be able to have. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I know, um, I know what you mean about like finding the perfect fit or you know the place Mm -hmm. where you feel like you're really making an impact and certainly 
the many visits that I made to Walter Reed and to Bethesda Naval um, certainly showed me the growth that happens from start to finish. Um, and some of these folks really don't know what the future is going to look like for them. So it's people like you, a physical right. therapist, doctors, nurses, you know, their entire medical team and and their family members that are encouraging them that there is hope. And, you know, they will, they will, they will find, you know, a, a good place to land um, eventually. So right. I, I remember, right. you know, service members being in the hospital from anywhere from, you know, two months to, to 18 months. So um, we appreciate mm-hmm. everything that you did and are still doing for our, our warriors and their families and giving <laughs> them hope. It's fantastic. My pleasure. Yeah. How long did you actually work at Walter Reed, Kelly? So I actually was able to start there as a student. I did my last internship in in graduate school um, there in 2010. So I was there uh, a little over seven years um, and left in the summer of 2017. So it's been almost four years now that I've been gone from there. Mm. Feels like yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, do you have uh, any uh, one favorite memory or... Um, several favorite memories that you would like to share with us, maybe something funny or inspiring that would, um, you know, our listeners would enjoy hearing. Oh my goodness. Um, I have so many favorite memories of first for lack of a better term for it, whether it was the first time standing or first steps, first outing, you know, whatever it might be. But I think honestly, my favorite moment, I had a favorite moment with every patient and it was the moment that, I realized that they didn't need me anymore. Mm. And, you know, we as a rehab team had given them the skills to succeed in whatever definition or capacity that meant to them. And they always far exceeded those expectations to not need us anymore. And that, that's always the goal, right? You know, you want them to be able to go on and succeed without you. Um, sometimes that was crossing the finish line with a patient or, you know, skiing down a hill with them and looking at the smile on their face at the bottom or, you know, maybe it's their first weekend away by themselves without their caregiver, their support system, to, you know, to realize that they could be totally independent again. So that defining moment, I think, for each patient was different. But at the end of the day, like, for me as a therapist and a member of their rehab team, it was that moment where I could take a step back and just smile to myself and be like, you know what, you're going to be fine. And I had it with every patient that I worked with. And I think you just kind of put those away in the back of your head and, you know, and smile at them and just watch them, you know, continue to surpass those expectations far beyond anything you could ever imagine for yourself. But I think there's just, there's a favorite moment with all of them there. Mm -hmm. I could tell some hilarious stories. Um, And many of your listeners are probably, you know, the, the subject of those memories. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they all, they all just bring such a personality and and a determination that's all their own to their situation and their rehab. And, um, but they all get to that point where it's time for them to go and they're going to be okay. And I think just collectively, that's my favorite. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I know that you personally helped many EOD technicians as they were going through, um, you know, rehabilitation there at Walter Reed. And I can only imagine the stories and the shenanigans that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, what stays at the Massey or what happens at the Massey stays at the Massey, right? (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. (laughs) That's right. Um, Well, 
all who serve in the medical field, you know, as I said before, play such a vital role in helping people get better. Um, so how did you transition from your role at Walter Reed to the Travis Mills Foundation? You know, I'm a believer that rehab is a lifelong process for these men and women and that there's an entire continuum that starts the minute that they're injured and goes for the rest of their life and affects them and everyone who cares about them, that there's, you know, several dynamics there. And I think that I was fortunate enough, I did an internship before Walter Reed at the hospital, the Lonstuhl Hospital in Germany. And so sometimes I saw these patients within 24 hours of being injured. And then you go to Walter Reed and you see them for, you know, sometimes up to two years or so. And then now I see people at the foundation that come back that some of them are 10 years post-injury now. You know, I met them in 2010. We're going on 11 years at this point. And as that war shifted and we stopped getting so many new patients at the hospital, it was time for me to sort of figure out, you know, what was my next step going to be? It was a great problem to have, to not have that, you know, huge influx of patients. And anybody who spent any time in the hospital when Travis did his rehab was well aware of who he was. And he just kept popping in and telling me about, you know, I have this foundation. We're going to start these retreats. I'm going to need somebody to run this, you know, and his timing was just right. It was, it seemed like that was the logical next step. It was sort of the next phase in rehab for these patients that I had been working at at the hospital in a very real life capacity. And I didn't feel at that point like any standard clinical job was ever going to measure up to what I had been doing. And so I needed a challenge in sort of a different way. And Travis just kept popping in with the, with the opportunity. And so um, in the summer of 2017, I left the hospital and came to Maine of all places um, and even though what I do here is not technically, it's a non-clinical setting, you know, I still do some contracting for the VA up here to help with their amputee clinic and treatment. Um, and I teach some PT and OT, um, at a couple different universities. And so, you know, this is my calling now, this is where I'm supposed to be, but I still sort of keep my, keep my hand in the, in the clinical world a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I, I think, you know, sometimes one door closes and another one opens. I know that's an old adage, but um, you know your ability to find a, a different level of, say, physical therapy or rehabilitation and fit it into, you know, what Travis had in mind for his foundation. I think is fantastic, and you know, I hear a lot of wonderful things about Travis Mills Foundation, <laughs> and certainly he's an incredible human and he has a beautiful family. Um, but can you tell our listening audience what the mission is of Travis Mills Foundation? When did it start and how has it evolved since you've been there? Sure. So our mission statement is that we support recalibrated veterans and their families through long-term um, programs to help these heroic men and women overcome physical obstacles, strengthen their families, and provide well-deserved rest and relaxation. And so we do that in a couple of different ways. Ultimately, the foundation started in 2013 um, as care packages that were going to be sent downrange. And essentially, you know, the short version of the story is that it really just picked up traction and picked up steam and had this idea that, you know, to incorporate family into offering a retreat 
and the original plan was that it would be for a few weeks over the summer because that's, you know, to the outside world, a desirable time of year to be here in Maine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and it was so successful in the summer of 2017 that we, we added weeks that year to the fall. We added some caregiver things um, and into December. And now we operate uh, 12 months out of the year. We've served over 600 families in four years. Um, well, three, technically we haven't gotten through 2020. Um, and, and our programming has grown from those, you know, seven summer weeks, um, to include, we have a, um, a family retreat program, but we also have a new partnership with Boulder Crest Foundation where we offer their warrior path program. Um, so we can accommodate both the whole family for those rest and relaxation retreats, which offer activities like high ropes course and archery or you know, painting, massage, yoga, all kinds of fun things like that, waterfront, kayaking. Um, and then the, the Warrior Path Program is um, it's focused on alternative training, which teaches service members how to lead a more meaningful life. Um, it's geared towards those that are dealing more with the invisible wounds of war. Um, we recognized as we were offering these retreats that there was a whole population that was suffering that we weren't capturing with our current mission statement. And our facility is barrier-free. It's meant to be accommodating to somebody with any sort of physical injury. But that's not exclusive in a lot of cases. And we wanted to be able to offer more. And so we found this partnership with Bouldercrest and um, have been, we started offering that last summer. Um, And I really, I just, you know, I know we're going to talk about that program a little bit more, but there just aren't enough good things to say about it. Um, so we're really excited to be able to offer that too. So in a nutshell, something that started as backpacks, um, has grown really into a year long operation, which is wonderful. It is wonderful. And, you know, it's also interesting to me, uh, because I think sometimes when nonprofit entities start, they have a specific thing that they think they're going to do. And that's the only thing they're going to do. And what ends up happening mm-hmm. is that you get feedback from your community and your, your the people that you're serving. And you're like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. So we could incorporate that too. And then you start to really right. formulate a plan. And I think it's wonderful the way, you know, the foundation has grown um, and, you know, the different demographics that you're actually serving now um, to include families. I think that's fantastic. Right. That's one of our cornerstones for sure. You know, that Travis recognized very quickly how important his family was to his recovery process. And due to the severity of his injuries, he was allowed to have his family around a lot more than some others are because he needed more help in the beginning. And, um, and recognize that that was a space within the veteran service organization world that um, was less served. And if he was going to do this, he was going to do it with the whole family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it has for sure been a labor of love to make sure that um, anything that we do here can be adapted to anybody's ability. But sometimes the adapted version is the level playing field. And so we'll put families you know, we'll put the, the spouse into a hand cycle right along the, with the service member or, um, you know, we're going to be offering sled hockey. And so we'll put everybody in a sled to play so that it's not always the person that's injured doing it differently where we can make that the standard and, and see how their family members do with it, which is always kind of fun to watch. Um, 
but it, you know, it's a labor of love and it's something that their needs continue to adapt. And so we have to be able to, to continue adapt right to continue to adapt right along with them so that we're able to offer, you know, whatever it is that they need at that point in their, in their process. Right. Right. Well, giving the family members the same experience, I think, you know, just creates a level of understanding that just they can relate to their service member a a whole lot more when it comes to the challenges that they face. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's a brilliant, a brilliant way to to address it. And it also makes everyone feel like they're a little bit um, it's more inclusive. And and like I said, just a level of understanding. So that's awesome. Really good. So tell me about, I know you said, you know, you have the the respite programs for the families and you guys mm-hmm. have introduced the PATH program, um, which is for uh, combat veterans. But are you also doing the first responders and, and that sort of thing too in regards to the PATH? Um, in regards to PATH, yes. So in terms of eligibility for our family programs, they have to be post 9-11 um, service with a permanent physical injury. So anything, amputations, spinal cord injuries, um, traumatic brain injuries, lots, lots of things fall under there. And then for our PATH program, they also have to have post 9-11 service. Um, and if they're, if they're a veteran, they have to also have deployed to a combat zone, not necessarily in combat, but in support of combat. So into that combat zone or be a first responder that has been involved in a critical incident. Um, and so those are, Basically, what it does is sort of level the playing field of everybody that's in that class that's going through where, you know, they don't have to go through explaining to somebody that doesn't get it. The guides are all um, veterans or first responders as well. And so, you know, they're just a little bit further down the road in terms of going through the program. They've already been there. They've already done that. There's a level of sort of respect and understanding that you just don't have to earn with someone else. It's already inherent in there. Um, And it just, I mean, we've only been offering it since last summer and I already can't count the number of lives that I have seen as somebody who does not run the program because I am a civilian. Um, The number of lives that I have seen change right before my eyes is incredible. And it's just such a unique program in terms of it being an empowerment program that lets the service member do the work on themselves as opposed to being a handout or, you know, just sitting and listening. Like you really have to be active in participating in that curriculum. It's focused on, you know, training and it's in a language and terms that are familiar to them from their time in service, which I think also makes it unique. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to sort of dig deep and expose things that you maybe have been trying to bury and hide for most of your life. But if they're willing to put the work in, you know, you get out of it what you put in. And it's, um, it's just, it's an absolutely phenomenal program. And Boulder Crest is running that program at 10 sites across the country. Travis Mills Foundation is only one of the sites. We serve sort of the greater New England area. Um, but it's just, you know, I encourage people if that's something that, you know, you're struggling with or you know somebody that's struggling with sort of those just more invisible wounds of war, like to to investigate that program a little bit and see if, if you're ready or they're ready um, to to look into that to start to make some changes because it's really, really something special. 
Right. Well, we are, you know, we've, we've had lots of experience with, with the PATH program through Boulder mm-hmm. Crest initially. And then, you know, it's it's great that the expansion has happened because they're able to, to reach so many more um, veterans, active duty service members and first responders. So I right. think it's, you know, we're, we're definitely in agreement with you. It's a wonderful program. And, and you do have to dig deep. It, it's not, um, it's, it's a very intense program. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, you, you've got to very much be willing <laughs> to yeah. to yeah. open you up. Have to and, you, you have do. to be ready. You have to be ready. You absolutely sure. do. I would agree with that a hundred percent. So thank you for sharing about the PATH program. So I'd like to talk a little sure. bit more about the family respite. And if you can just share with me, I understand they have to be post nine eleven with a permanent injury mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of things. But tell me what what that looks like. Is it a week? Is it a weekend? Tell me what you have to offer in reference to that. Sure. So it depends a bit on time of year. Um, And obviously COVID has put a wrench in that a bit. Um, (laughs) We are opening back up this summer to in-person retreats, which we're super, super excited about. Um, So during the summer, typically it's a six day stay. This year it'll be one day less, just for some extra cleaning purposes. Um, but they arrive on a Sunday and typically leave on Friday. So it's five full days of programming. There is a jam packed schedule from morning to night each day that they're here, but nothing is required that they attend. And so I think that's the part that makes it really unique because being on the clinical side of it, I have been the recipient of several patients that have gone on a trip here, there, everywhere with whichever organization and they come back and they're just, they're completely exhausted or they have new wounds or new pain or they weren't quite ready or, you know, whatever, whatever might've happened to them. And so I thought, you know, when we make the schedule for the people that come that want to go, go, go all day long, we're going to give them the chance to do that. But for every person that comes that wants to go, 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 there's somebody that comes that wants to sit on the dock and just watch the waves come by all day long because they're so happy to not be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Both are completely fine. So they can participate and sort of pick and choose. Most things are done on site without having to leave, um, without having to leave the facility. So if a kid needs to take a nap or somebody's having a meltdown or you want to try something and not be stuck there all day, if you don't like it, all of those we can accommodate for. So you want to shoot five arrows and decide archery is not for you and go back to kayaking and swimming on the waterfront, have at it. Um, we encourage people to reach outside of their comfort zone to try new things. Um, it's sort of similar to when they're at the hospital and, you know, they have a ton of adaptive sports and activities at their fingertips. It's kind of the same situation. It's like, if you want to try it, now's the time to try it. If you fall in love with it, we'll connect you with how to keep doing it when you get home. If you decide it's not your thing, cross it off the list and let's go to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really try to offer something for everyone. There's lots of physical things, but then we also, you know, have yoga or we have massages and some art things that we do. And so there's really something for everyone. And like I mentioned before, we try to include the entire family in any of the activities so that. If they're going to struggle with it, they struggle together. And if they're going to triumph, they get to share in that moment together as well. So there's really a whole lot of different opportunities once they're here. That's awesome. 
Really awesome. So um, your location in Maine is, is fairly remote. Am I correct in saying that? <laughs> that is correct. We are located in the Belgrade Lakes region, which is outside of Augusta. Okay. Um, the main sort of uh, landmarks for people are Portland um, is the most populated city. We're about an hour and a half north of there. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're right on the lake and um, by, you know, DC standards, very remote. We don't have, um, you know, Uber's not coming to pick somebody up in the middle of the retreat. <laughs> um, but, but at the same time, it offers sort of a atmosphere of peace and tranquility that you aren't going to get in a city as well. Right. So there's trade-offs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is good. I mean, I think it's good for everybody to take a break um, and kind of get desensitized to um, all of the chaos right. that happens in the city and mm-hmm. the comings and goings. Um, and how many families right. do you typically accept at a time, Kelly? Like if can more than one family be on site at a time or do you take one family? At yep. a time? So we do, we do keep it small. We can accommodate up to eight families at a time. And typically the max is 30 people spread. However, it may fall between the eight eight families, but we do have eight rooms. Um, there's rooms each have an accessible bathroom, um, but no like kitchen or anything like that. So all of the meals are provided in a um, common dining room, dining area. It's essentially um, a big house with separate bedrooms and bathrooms. Okay. Um, but there's a movie theater room and a library, kids playroom. It's the old um, former Elizabeth Arden estate that was um, sort of, completely refurbished um to be to become what what we have made it today awesome um well i would love to come and visit you at some point in time that would be wonderful um maybe maybe there's some there's a side conversation we can have after we hang up here about you know making a retreat potentially for specifically eod families or something like that so um that would be yeah we love partnering okay cool very good. Kelly, we kind of touched on this before, but your role with the Travis Mills Foundation is program director. Tell us how your current role and your physical therapy experience has assisted you in, in this job. <laughs> you know, some people will laugh that like once you're a PT, you're always a PT. You're always watching how people walk. You're always watching how they use crutches and it just <laughs> becomes ingrained and is never going to leave you. And, and I'm a hundred percent guilty of that. So technically as a program director, I'm not here as a physical therapist, but because of my background, what I do on a daily basis when participants or patients are here um, is a hundred percent ingrained in that. So being able to adapt any sport or activity, piece of equipment, any of that is sort of priceless. If I can't adapt an activity to meet someone's needs, I hang my head really low. The first thing I do when they leave is fix it. And then they're the first person on the list to get an invitation to come back to prove that I did it, <laughs> that, that we have made those new accommodations and, and we can, and we can make, sort of level that playing field and make that work for anyone. Um, I also get past you know, patients of mine from the hospital or participants that have come in the past that return that now have new questions and want to know, you know, 
different things about things that they maybe didn't care about when they were at the hospital, you know, like maintaining their weight. Now they're realizing that their activity level really is different and they're struggling with weight control or getting into a new sport or finding a new hobby or now their kid wants to go ride bikes. So now they want to get into hand cycling, but they didn't want anything to do with it before. Um, So it just really lets me or allows me, I should say, to get to use my imagination and bring sort of all of the greatest parts about physical therapy and the real life part about physical therapy into their lives and their activities without the formal part of it. That's a lot less fun. There's no paperwork. There's no, you know, doing certain number of repetitions or anything like that. But if you don't know how to walk down a ramp to get to the dock, this is a very real life situation. We're going to learn it right now. You're going to do it. And then now you have that skill when you get home mm-hmm. or you want to ride your bike with your kids, or you want to figure out how to get up onto the ropes course with them or whatever the activity may be. We're going to figure out how to adapt it and and let them do it. And that is where my background in physical therapy, I think gets to sort of shine through um, and just gets to be really, really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can see how it would be incredibly valuable to to service members and their families that you have that skill set for sure. And also, it sounds like you are very hands-on and very present uh, through maybe the family yeah. respite retreats. So, is is that a true statement? And then also, can you share what specifically you do as program's director? Um, it's 100% true. And I hope that it always gets to stay that way. Um, I, when I took the job and invited, you know, the first group of people that first summer, we handpicked them because we knew we would have some kinks to work out. And so I knew them all and I invited them knowing the level of, um, sort of caliber of what I was going to be able to offer them and, come hell or high water that will never change Mm -hmm. um they just have such a special anybody who comes here has such a special place in my heart that i feel like they deserve that from me and from my team um and i hope to always be able to stay in that in that capacity for that role um you know sort of being the program director involves all the background things like recruiting and developing the activities and the program schedules all of that kind of thing and and overseeing logistics and the delivery of the program. And then you have sort of the administrative things on top of that of evaluating success and impact and keeping up with engagement. But at the end of the day, like the part of the job that's the best and the most fun and and I give the most of my time to is each veteran and their family. And so I'll have people call. They know maybe whatever they're asking for is not what we do, but if we can't do it, we're going to connect you with somebody that can. And so um, you know, to be someone's go-to resource is a very privileged place to be. And so we are going to, um, we are always going to take that seriously and, and remember how special it is to have that role in their life. And, um, and I'm honored to be able to lead that team to be a part of that for sure. Right. Well, it's always good to have people reach out to you no matter what the circumstances are. And 
I always like to say, you know, I always say thank you so much for reaching out because at least you've given us the opportunity. Whether it's it's right. you know the EOD Warrior Foundation helping you is one thing, but if we can connect you with a resource that is of value and will help you, then that's a win too. So right. I, I think you just in in the nonprofit space, it's it's a lot about collaborative effort for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, none of us can be the best at everything. Right. And so to recognize what you are the best at and really good at, and then who else is good at areas that you can't fulfill is, is huge and mm-hmm. such a resource to the veteran and to their family. And, you know, at the, I, I say this a lot, but at the end of the day, like if someone else can help you more than I can, like I'm the first person to sign you up for that. Yeah. Like, you know, go and talk to this person. They can do this for you and they can do that for you because there's, there's such power in, in that and being, um, you know, sort of humble enough to recognize that someone else is better at something. Um, and that's just so much more helpful, I think, to those families than me trying to be good at everything. It's just never going to work like that. That's why there are other organizations out there. So yeah, we might both myself and the foundation, like, we're always collaborating with other um, people and organizations to, you know, continue to offer as much as we can for the people that we call them, they're members of our TMF family. And so if you're part of the family, we're going to help you out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. I understand that. And how many people do you have working under you, Kelly, to run, run your programs? Um, depending on time of year, <laughs> So when we're in season and, and have programs running, um, there's close to 10 on the programming team um, among both programs. And then during the year, we've got uh, five of us that are full-time during the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a good, it's a good team there. We're full of hard workers and, um, and hopefully, you know, the idea of keeping as many people as we can year round is that, there are multiple familiar faces and I think people are much more willing to come to and ask for help from people that they know and that they're familiar with. And, um, and the same thing goes for the past program. Mm -hmm. You know, we try to, um, staff that with people that are familiar to the retreat so that, you know, you make an uncomfortable situation as comfortable as it can be. Um, and as familiar and as, you know, safe of a space as you possibly can. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of, there are a lot of hard workers, um, that I get the privilege of, of working with, um, on a regular basis, which is great. It is great. Very cool. Well, how is the nonprofit space different, um, from working in the government or the civilian sector, Kelly, are there, are there distinct <laughs> differences or do you feel like there are more similarities than differences? Cause I mean, we always hear that, you know, really a nonprofit um, organization, the, the biggest difference is, is the tax status quite frankly, because in a lot of ways you, <laughs> you do run it as you run it as a business. I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. Right. Right. Um, well, there's a lot less paperwork in the nonprofit space <laughs> in the clinical world of the government. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, I think I was a little bit sheltered from maybe the normal confines of working for the government, um, given, 
what I was actually doing and that all of my time was spent with, um, well, in the beginning it was all spent with combat wounded. And so it fell sort of under that, that blanket global war on terror sort of standards and budget, which um, was a little bit privileged. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it differed in terms of just the clinical world where my time with my patients was dictated by meeting their goals and nothing else. It didn't, um, insurance didn't have anything to do with it. Nobody's timeline mattered. It was meeting their goals, which in the healthcare world is just unheard of. (laughs) That just does not happen. Um, And so I think the biggest difference, you know, just in my unique case is that, you know, now I just don't see people face to face nearly as often. Um, but I think coming from the clinical world into the non-clinical world is the biggest, you know, sort of difference or hurdle for me more so than government versus not. Um, there's much, obviously there's much less red tape when you do things outside of the government. Um, right. (laughs) But, you know, other than sort of the administrative side of the stuff, like I still get to work with, you know, people that just deserve the utmost respect and, um, and the very best that I can offer and we can offer to them. And, and it's just, I think it's just a special, it's a different capacity and a different point in their life, but it's just as important. And, and it's just as sort of meaningful from our side of it that, Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, well, I talked a little bit with you just moments ago about potentially collaborating, but um, do you collaborate with other organizations to run your programs or, you know, could another organization come in and, and do a program at Travis Mills Foundation? It's So that's kind of my overarching question. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done both ways where we've had um, another organization come in and sort of run most of their own program or sort of a curriculum of what they were offering. And then we just kind of offered a few little things here and there um, and essentially provided the facility and food and things like that. Um, We've also partnered with organizations where we run our program, but it's full of their people. Um, And so we have them all apply together and pick the same week and we make those arrangements. Um, So there's definitely room for both. And again, I would say it's a continuum. There can be, you know, any sort of mix and match if there are certain things that, you know, you want to make sure get done or, um, or that are offered or time of year or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think there's lots of possibilities for that. Cool. We'd be happy to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Well, I look forward to doing that because I'm the director of programs for the EOD Warrior Foundation. So I, um, right, right, yeah. Part of my my role is absolutely planning and doing the logistics and partnering with other organizations to host retreats. So I would love to chat with you at another time. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, Kelly, can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about Travis Mills Foundation? Absolutely. So I think um, the first thing to do would be to visit our website, which is travismillsfoundation.org. There's lots of information in there. And then, you know, from there, you can send an email or follow us on social media. You can follow Travis on social media. He's always up to something, um, you know, whether it's posting a funny video or sharing things or stirring the pot or 
you know, whatever it might be, he's always, always got something up his sleeve. So, um, you know, there's that option as well, but yeah, there's just, um, there's lots of different ways, particularly if you need to get in contact with me, um, you know, sending any sort of an email into the foundation will eventually find its way to me if that's the most appropriate place for it. Um, there are links on there for events that we're hosting or doing that people can participate in, as well as um, at any time the Warrior Pass um, application is always open on the website. And then a request for a family application is on there. So we use that as sort of a, a screening tool um, just to make sure that people are eligible and appropriate. Um, and then, and then from there, the, our application is only open certain times of year for different seasons of retreat. Um, but the request is always open on there. So if you're interested in retreat, those two options are available, um, on the website, but that's the best place to start to get, you know, just basic information. All right. Thank you for that. And did I understand, I know you said social media, but so do you guys have a Facebook page and Instagram and, and all those accounts too? We do. I am not super social media savvy, (laughs) but um, there is a Facebook page and an Instagram page and those I'm familiar with. And then I believe there's also everything else like LinkedIn and Twitter and all of those kinds of things. But thank goodness that's not my responsibility to to be updating those. But Facebook, um, Facebook and Instagram we have. And then once families have come and participated in a retreat with us, then we also have a private Facebook group, which is where we offer continued programming and opportunities to people once they have come here. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes it's little friendly competitions for giveaways or drawings or, you know, weekly yoga. That's really sort of ramped up in this COVID world of being able to offer virtual um, activities and things to our families. So once they have come, they're part of that TMF alumni network and they get added into the private Facebook group as well. But publicly facing, we've got the Travis Mills Foundation um, Facebook page and Instagram page. Okay, perfect. Great. And I'll list those as a resource when I do the write-up for the podcast, Kelly, so everybody can, you know, have that link also. Oh, great. Yeah. And great. are there any exciting plans for the future? Yes. We are actually breaking ground in September of this year, 2021, um, on a health and wellness center building that's going to be right on site, connected to the retreat building. It's going to have a pool, gym, fitness room, massage room, um, massive laundry facility, and I could not be more excited. It's going to um, allow us to fully operate in all seasons regardless of weather and provide some much-needed indoor space. Um, not everyone loves the snow in the wintertime. <laughs> um, so we're, we're super, super excited to be able to have that Um And I think the key in that building is just that there's going to be very few adapted pieces of equipment um, that are in there, particularly in the gym. Uh, And the idea behind the programming with that is just to be able, you know, to offer something that's real life. And, you know, if we need to teach people how to use stuff in the gym or get around in the gym, I want to do it in a place that's going to resemble you know, the average Planet Fitness, LA Fitness, Gold Gym, whatever you have in your community. There's no point in my mind to teaching somebody how to use a $200,000 adapted elliptical that they're never going to see again when they go home. There's mm-hmm. no carryover effect there. And so, you know, we're so, so, so excited to be able to expand our programming options um, with the pool and the gym 
in this new building, which supposed to be finished by the summer of 2022. So we're going to break ground um, in September. So keep your eyes out on that. Watch the progress of that. Um, and then, and then watch how far we can take that once it's done because we're really, really excited. Yeah, well, I mean, that is very exciting news. And uh, we'll just offer another layer of support, which I think is great. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, Kelly, it has been um, really great to speak with you, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to to chat with me on today's oh, podcast. Pleasure. And, you know, your, your level of dedication, your skill set, just your personality, and I can feel the, you know, compassion in your voice when you talk about helping our service members and their families and our first responders. And there's nothing that feels better than interacting with someone who is sincere and has all of the right intentions in place. So I think between what you offer and and working with the Travis Mills Foundation is fantastic. And I absolutely look forward to having further conversations with you guys and also, you know, if there is an EOD family that comes through your program and has additional needs, I certainly hope you would reach back to us and, and as a resource of as course. well. And Of course. Thank you so much for having me and for, you know, just giving us the platform to sort of share our foundation and our mission. And, you know, like we've said, there's so much room for collaboration and, you know, to to be able to give these families as much as we possibly can is just, um, it's a privilege, honestly, for us to be able to do it and for us to work with others to do it. And, you know, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go for real, I have a couple of just yeah. favorite questions that I, I like to ask. It's called, what's your favorite? And, I would love okay. <laughs> to know um, if you have a favorite author or a book that you'd like to share. <laughs> um, you know, I actually run a book club for our alumni group, and we just read um, The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. And I think right now that's probably sitting at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. I, um, I have a seven-month-old, and so anything that can capture my attention to the point where I don't want to put it down and go to bed at night really has to be something that's good. Nice. <laughs> so I think right now The Nightingale would probably be my favorite book. Okay, awesome. Um, do you have a favorite time of day? You know, if you had asked me this a few years ago, I probably would have said nighttime, but... Um, I'm the most productive in the morning and I like being able to get as much done as I can before needs of life sort of get in the way. So I'd say I'm a morning person now. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And do you have a favorite food that you enjoy? (laughs) Do peanut butter M&Ms count? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I'm a sucker for a peanut butter and chocolate combo for sure. So, yeah, I think peanut butter M&Ms are probably my favorite. I like it. (laughs) That's a food group, isn't it? I think so. So, right? Candy. That's right. (laughs) I have a degree in nutrition. I probably have several professors that would just roll over at that answer but <laughs> yeah but you know what sometimes you have to have a little comfort food in your life and if that's what you, if that's what you and, go to is it's yeah. it's pretty harmless so um yeah there's a place in every diet for every food right? there is there is and just <laughs> one more do you have a favorite way that you mm-hmm. like to unwind kelly you know i'm 
a fan of anything that's outside. I love to run. Um, and I think when I was in grad school, that was the one time of day that I couldn't study or, you know, be on a phone call or answering emails. Nobody could need anything from me. And so, um, that's sort of like that absolute me time. So I think running is probably at the top of that list. Cool. Very cool. Well, that all sounds wonderful. And you're making me hungry about those uh, peanut butter M&Ms. So um, <laughs> I'm going to go go eat my lunch after I hang up with you. So um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, listen, it has been a pleasure, Kelly, and I look forward to being in touch and I look forward to sharing this podcast with our listeners. And certainly if there's anything we can do, um, just let us know. But you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Sherry. You too. Enjoy your lunch. Okay, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.